Okay, hello everybody, welcome to the Online Tennis Podcast. It's me, Jack, and my co-host. Having you back again this week, good to be with you, discussing yeah. all things Miami. Mm-hmm. Episode 37, by the way. I, I, you know, that first section I could just copy and paste every time. but And then maybe your reaction to the episode number every time you're like, whoa! The time is getting on, yeah. Still, yeah, 37's a lot of episodes. We're still alive and kicking, which is good. Uh, yeah, we are covering everything in Miami this week. We are going to talk about, I'll run you through it all. It's going to be very match-centred this week. Senor Kyrgios, Medvedev Brooksby, Medvedev Harkac. Then a bit later in the tournament, Rude Zverev, Rude Alcaraz. Mm-hmm. Alcaraz Kecmanovic and Alcaraz Harkac. So basically just all the quarters, semis uh, and final discussions that are worth talking about and a few of the four friends obviously that are mm-hmm. definitely worth talking about. And then on the WTA side we've got Collins Osaka, Benchich Osaka, uh, Svontek Kvitova and Svontek Osaka. Let's, let's dive into the Miami, Miami Masters discussion. Mm-hmm. We'll start Gav with the Sinner Kyrgios match. Yes, it was much hyped and it did not disappoint. I think Carlos Bernardes probably needs therapy after that. I think he must just be... Oh, he does, he does. And I'm, I'm assuming the ATP will be paying for that, surely. Cause, I, mean... I, I hope so. <laughs> his heart must have sank. He always seems to get the most difficult matches. That's, see, for me, if you've got a Kyrgios center, if you've got a difficult match, just give it to Mohamed Leani. Because like, everyone seems to get on with Mohamed Leani. Ah, there's no, there's, there's no arguing with that face, that is, is there? That's totally, the thing. That, is, that is the cure to depression, it's just Mohamed Leani. Like yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. Yes, actually, yeah, isn't it? Even for listeners, if you're feeling down about anything, just watch Mohamed Leani, like the best of combination on YouTube. That'll that's be- a good idea. Yeah, I love, I love that guy. That, that's like the NHS should prescribe that for depression. <laughs> Mohamed Leani. I, love, I mean, yeah, why not? You get it for free on YouTube, one hundred percent. It's the best prescription possible. Uh, yeah, you're quite right. Bernard, Bernard has uh, definitely got it pretty bad in this match. I think the first thing I want to yeah, talk about. I mean, there's, there's a ton of stuff to talk about controversy-wise, but one of the first things that, that Kyrgios started going on about was the pace of the court. That was like the first thing he started complaining about, basically. One of his quotes was, me as well, so, a bit of context, he played on centre court up until this match, and he was it's basically said that the, the centre court was so much slower than the courts outside. It was like, may as well be grass and clay, it's a joke. Bit more information, though. The court pace index came up. They were pretty much exactly the same. Other players, for example, Kecmanovic, have said the courts feel exactly the same. Kerio said he should have been warned beforehand that the courts were going to be different speeds. Is it bullshit, Gav, or like what? I think it's bullshit. I mean, yeah, yeah. Nonsense. I mean, think about it. If he's going to be practicing at the tournament, he would have practiced on a different court to the center court. You know, you don't just practice on the center court. Um, he yeah, was, yeah. He's played there in Miami before. For me, it's just a case of, and it, it sounds harsh, but it's a case of Kyrgios, almost like when he's got an opportunity to win something and do something special, he almost gets in his own way. I don't know whether it's the fact that he's just scared to try. I think that maybe that is part of it. I mean, I, I do think that is an element to Kyrgios, where he's almost scared to try in case he fails, so he's scared of failing. Yeah, yeah. For me, I would say it's almost worse not, not trying to apply yourself if you fail and you apply yourself you can't complain but he's not applying himself and this was a golden mm-hmm. opportunity to win a Masters as well as Alcaraz has been playing um, he was Kyrgios was playing unbelievably well and the draw opened up there was no Nadal no, no Sinner retired in the next in the next round um, it was a golden opportunity if he got through Sinner he would have played Serendolo and you yeah. get through Serendolo then you has got Rude anything can happen there then you're into the final so 
One of the few players that, that might have had the weaponry to be Alcaraz as well, oh, definitely. And he had yeah, a yeah. golden opportunity and he's effectively thrown it down the toilet. And yeah, yeah. If, if, yeah, FFF obviously, as Nadal says, doesn't exist in fairness. But yeah, I, I dwell a bit more on that, Gav, because um, there was a moment at 4-5, like Love 30. He starts putting in second serves and he serves volleys off the back of them. It almost looks like he doesn't give a shit. Mm-hmm. It works in his favour because Sinner actually isn't the best passer in the game. He does rely on a lot of spin on either wing. He does struggle to keep it low over the net. I would say that at least. At the same time, he really shouldn't have... It was He was coming in off nothing balls, basically, and it kind of worked in his favour because Sinner wasn't expecting it. So, okay, no, I, I'm only drawing negatives off that because really, as you say, he, he basically is just willing to... If he, if he actually applies himself and he fails, then he feels like he's failed. He didn't try there, so it's a win-win for him. That, that's basically. the thing that irritates me with Kyrgios. You know, he walks around with his swagger as if he's like, you know, and he's very much almost, you know, walks around with his swagger as if he's got an aura about him. I don't think there is really any aura about him at all. I mean, I think, for me, he just, in the big moments, in the big tournaments, in the big rounds, he doesn't turn up or he, he always gets in his own way. It's almost as if he argues with the umpire. It's almost as if you give him an excuse. You know, I yeah. didn't win that match because I gave the umpire. I didn't win the match because I didn't like the court stuff. So I didn't win the match because I felt Rafa was doing this or this or the next thing. Yep. Mm-hmm. He blames too many other circumstances rather than just admitting that he's not going for it full pill. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, a little bit of elaboration on a few of those points. So one of the things, the the court index, court pace, pace index, Kyrgios started saying that after he was dealing with Sinner's second serve. So against Rublev, he was coming in really far into the court, taking them super early. Sinner hits a bigger ball. He hits a bigger second serve. And when Kyrgios wasn't able to attack those, that's when he starts complaining. I mean, he gets them deeper. He hits them faster. Kyrgios has just been a knob, <laughs> honestly. Yeah, he's yeah. The, you just got to you just got to respect the player over the other side of the net. He's hitting a better second serve. So, yeah, and if you think about it as well, his outbursts are directly affecting Sinner as well. Because I mean, if you're Sinner, it's very difficult to stay focused. I mean, the atmosphere was pandemonium. I think they said in Amazon Prime it was like a zoo. It was like a zoo. he did an amazing job of it. Obviously, he you did, must, yeah, must yeah, have seen the pictures of him completely composed as Kyrgios has gone mental right in front of him. Seen, worst I've seen Kyrgios abuse an umpire. I mean. It was it was borderline. Well, it was, it was abuse, but it was borderline getting to the point. I thought he should be disqualified. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Anyway, I agree. But at the start of the second set, I mean, it was getting too far. You're right. It's just ridiculous, and the fact that the ATP continued to do nothing about it just shows you how weak an organisation they are. Really, I mean, yeah, somebody needs to come out and say it because a lot of I think the media outlets have been very much. Well, we can't criticise the organisation too much, but you've got to criticise them. I mean, it's absolutely absurd. Yeah, employees, the umpires are effectively doing this job that it's, they don't get much thanks for it. Okay, they get paid quite well, I'm guessing, but they, they have to turn up at work and face that day in day out. Every time he plays a match, there's always an incident. It's just not good enough. They yeah. are not providing proper assistance or proper support to the umpires, especially Bernardes when he's had to go through it multiple times. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Bit on Sinner, just very quickly before we move on, because it would be remiss of me to not mention Sinner's performance and just talk about Kyrgios' craziness, definitely. During the tournament, obviously, I think we might know this at this point, but I'll just say it anyway, he did save eight match points. Amazing. Obviously, he was so good under pressure, and it was the same against Kyrgios again in the tiebreak. He was amazing. He is now 7-0 in 2022 in tiebreaks. Incredible record, definitely. I mean, there's there's no two ways about that. Uh, he stayed totally calm, so when Kyrgios did that racket-smashing stuff, you know, he wasn't phased at all. Gave him a break of serve at the start of the match, uh, start of the second set, sorry, when Carlos Bernardo's awarded uh, or 
what's the opposite of awarded? Well, penalized. Well, penalized. Yeah, you know what I mean. Gave him a uh, game penalty. Whatever it is, the game penalty. But yeah, it was a a penalty against Kyrgios and a ward for Sinner. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said after the match, Sinner, that the biggest difference for him was how well he served, and it was true. It was yeah. how well he served. He didn't get broken the whole time, and in massive moments, he served incredibly well, and it is becoming a asset for him rather than a problem, which we were talking about last year. Yeah, absolutely. About fifty-two weeks ago, we or. At the start of the podcast when we started doing it. We no, started, yeah, yeah, pretty much exactly that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I really noticed how you needed to improve his serve in Monte Carlo last year when he was playing against Novak. Um, it's improved, so fantastic. I mean, we've not been going 52 weeks, but 37 weeks ago we were playing this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But obviously 52 weeks ago, Gavi was playing in the Miami final and that was part of the reason he, he lost it. So you're, exactly. you're, you're quite right. 37 weeks later. Better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um... Bit on Medvedev, we'll move on mm-hmm. to Medvedev Brooksby. Yep. I obviously was incredibly excited for this one, very oh, eager boy. to see how it would pan out. It was a good match, actually, it was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the one thing I'd say for Brooksby, one of the reasons he was so successful at the start of the match, he went up 4 1 on a break point. Very good with that forehand slice, obviously, something I kind of thought would be useful for him because he's one of the few players that can get at that low and sort of junky to Medvedev forehand. Medvedev's actually getting better at hitting the backhands. Slice like the off the backhand slice. Sorry, um, he, he's he's not. It's still a weakness maybe for him, a slight weakness. But he's getting a lot better at dealing with that on the forehand. Not so much, and sometimes you can kind of catch him off guard at the start of the match, and it'll take him a while to sort of readjust to that. So I mean, he was doing that a lot. He was um, winning a lot of the extended rallies just by sheer perseverance. So a lot of the forehand slices that he took to me for this forehand, if that was short, that gave Brooksby an attackable ball. He isn't just somebody who rolls the ball back into the play. You know, he, he will wait for the right ball to attack and he, he will make, punish you for a short ball, basically. Um, but eventually, Medvedev dug in. He, you know, he did some of that stuff. We see when he has got his back against the wall, massive second serves, for example. Uh, serve and drive volleys, one of the only players who really does serve and drive volley, you know, as opposed to serve and volley, you know, sitting in the middle of the court and waiting to take one out of the air, basically. Um, shortening the points deliberately. However, as the match went on, I mean, Medvedev just started to find deeper backhands through the middle of the court rather than getting them too angled. You give Brooks by the angle, he does just, you know, he gets you running uh, side to side, basically. And it, it was working. Eventually, Brooksby did wane. He started tiring. And if he didn't, if Brooksby's not winning longer rallies at the moment, he will fall away very quickly, as you yeah. can imagine. Well, yeah, Gav. getting the three points in the serve. So it's exactly for him to get quick and easy, cheap points. But yeah, yeah, yeah ex- I, I, exactly. Very good performance from Brooksby up until the end of the first set. And then when he lost that first set, I feared for him. I thought, yeah, this is only going to go one way. And it mm-hmm. ended up going the way I exactly thought it would. So yeah, t- ten of the last eleven games, Medvedev's away, won only two return points. Brooksby did in the second set. Yeah. So yeah, it gives you an idea of how comfortable it became eventually. But really interesting match to see Medvedev flip it and stuff. I really enjoyed watching it. Did you get to see any Medvedev hard catch? So oh yeah, mm-hmm. very very excited to watch that. I was very hyped up for it, and being honest with me, it didn't really deliver what I wanted it to deliver. Um, Medvedev was clearly struggling physically and as we found out he's got that hernia um, which he's you know, going to miss a lot of the clay court season. I wouldn't be surprised if he missed Roland Garros actually and just packed it all in for the clay. Um, yeah, wouldn't surprise me at all especially if you watched his outburst in Madrid last year. Uh, he's not, not exactly a fan of the, the clay. Um, he made the quarters of the French Open though. He is a, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's did, his own he worst critic. Yeah, he did. Um, 
But yeah, for me, I, I felt her catch actually was not not the better player in that first set. I thought even though he, though he got the quick three love lead, Medvedev actually for the majority of the set played better. And it was just in the tie break he managed to nick it. And then obviously with Medvedev struggling physically, um, Hercatch was able to exploit that. But I didn't think it was a particularly great Hercatch performance for me. I agree. Yeah, yeah. He said like Medvedev saved some set points really, really mm-hmm. well. And after he saved those set points, he looked like the player in the ascendancy like for me. Great points, didn't he? Something like that. He didn't come yeah. up catch the second serve high in the backhand. I noticed that he was struggling to, you know, yeah. put it in play. He was hitting a lot into the net, getting very tight. Um mm-hmm. And that ultimately proved to be his downfall against uh, Alcaraz for me. I, I think his return to serve needs to get better. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, you've, you've mentioned that before and you're quite right. I mean, there's loads of opportunities for him to improve that shot in particular, definitely. But credit to Harkatch, to be fair, he was coming into the net really well throughout the match. That was one of the reasons I felt that he was able to overpower Medvedev. Certainly Medvedev's tactics changed for me. I think he stopped Harkatch coming into the net by coming into the net first and obviously yep. it's not the place he looks the most comfortable but that's one way you can stop a player approaching the net obviously take the first move um, even if you're not super comfortable there and he did it really well uh, for that first set so he looked like the uncomfortable player for uh, in some ways but because he was dealing with something he would do so uncomfortably I thought he looked like the better player yeah. Um, but yeah at the same time you got to give her catch a lot of credit because well, uh, yeah, his net play's fantastic he was a double yeah. champion in Miami he's a fantastic volleyer but for me, mm-hmm. there still needs to be some improvement in his court play and his um, return of serve if he wants to be winning big titles consistently. Yeah, yeah. Medvedev said he felt a bit weak. As you say, you know, you obviously had yeah, that injury. He was barreling over. It was what well, it sounds offensive, but it was like Monfils body language in a way. Yeah, like, I know what you mean. Where you over. doubled over for long periods of time. Yeah. Leaning over his racket, you could tell. I thought, yeah, this is done straight sets, and it proved to be. Um, yeah. Medvedev quote of the week said he felt like a fish on the couch should have got him to write my English essays for me (laughs) he likes the uh, dead fish uh, metaphors doesn't he yeah (laughs) definitely well at university English I think (laughs) Um, right we'll move on from Medvedev we'll go on to the eventual finalist of the tournament Kasper Ruud and his match of the tournament for me was his match against Zverev I was just going to talk a little bit about that first. So, Gab, did you see any of it? What did you feel about it? Yep. For me, I actually thought I saw the upset coming. Yeah, I still mm-hmm. think Casper Ruud's very underrated in the hard courts. I don't think he gets the credit he deserves. Mm-hmm. So, compare it to like a player, I'd say Pablo Carino Boost almost. Like, a lot of people just assume, oh, he's a Spaniard. He likes to play better. Mm-hmm. Um, and he doesn't get the credit for being a great hard court player. I think Ruud, we saw how good he was in the hard courts last year, how much he'd improved. Um and for me, I thought Zverev's just going into this match with so little confidence that for me, I felt we could get the upset, and he did. He played very, very well. Mm-hmm. For me, Zverev's still got this problem tactically. I think he still needs to improve tactically as a player. For me, in matches, he's either too too passive at times, or he just mm-hmm. he looks unsure tactically about what he's going to do. I think getting a proper coach in place, whether it be like a coach like a Lendo, I know he's tried a Lendo before. Well, but... quick note on that, he's trialling Bruguera. Is he trying? I didn't know that. He's yep. trying to get her. Well, mm-hmm. he's working his way through the, the, the greats of the game then. Hopefully, yeah, yeah. So hopefully he sticks with one. Um, he's got the tools. I still think he's winning a slam. There's been a lot of talk, I think, from yourself as well, that he's not winning one, or you don't think he will win one, or you don't yeah. think he's guaranteed he'll win one. I don't know. Do you not think he'll win one? Is that what you're... I, I think odds on are that he will win one, but I definitely don't think it's a guarantee. That's what basically what I was saying. Um, it's so not, you... not locked in, but... I think there's too many positives in his game that he's got just from his talent and his power and his serve that 
I think he will win one, but I don't think he's going to dominate the game in a way that I think many people thought maybe 2016 when he first came onto the scene thought he was going to win five to ten slams. I'm talking yeah. maybe three to five at best, potentially. Big mental blocks there for me, definitely. Yeah. Um, I wanted to run through a few of the tactics from this match because it was very interesting and a lot of people um, you know, will just look at Root and say, you know, um, big forehand, big spinny forehand, that's how he got through Zverev. It was, a, it was a lot more nuanced than that, definitely. One of the biggest keys for Root, and it has been all week, but especially against Zverev, is that juice serve out wide on the first. It. Yeah, he, he, he yeah. does love it. Yeah, yeah, the first and the second, though. Um, so either of those. But I, one of the reasons, obviously, it works so well against Zverev is, you know, that forehand is the the wing that breaks down even if you yeah. give Zverev a, a ball within his reach a lot of the time he can be put under pressure and not attack it yeah. as well as he would I like to I think that's part of the problem you sometimes he's too passive in the forehand or something. yeah yeah you just it, can't work out the rally tempo on it whether he wants to be go big or whether he wants to sit back and it kind of goes into a mishmash mess a wee bit yeah yeah I mean he so he barely dropped a point on serve in the first set and that was basically the reason for him winning that first set the first point he lost all week on first serve, juice out, out wide was in that second set, and the only mistake Rude made made was to try and run around a a forehand cross court base or forehand inside out basically, and his own inside out forehand. Sometimes, if you force that on a hard court, you know you don't get to the ball as quickly as you like. You open up your forehand side as well, obviously for Zverev's backhand. You know that obviously is going to play right into his. Obviously, he just caught it a bit late. It's not a bad play tactically, but because he was forcing the issue, Zverev got on top of the point, and then he broke him, and then that set kind of spirals out of control from there basically that was the turning point for me um there was like four surf plus ones in a row i don't know if you remember that that yeah. Rude just totally fluffed you were like what the hell's happened to him here this is crazy uh, he just went totally off the boil um for a little bit uh, so that made all the difference in that set and then third set so an overall theme from the match but also in the third set in particular Rude had made a ton of returns just using that chip return obviously it's something we've seen improve from the latter half of last year, uh, the pretty much the only shot he, or the first serve obviously improved, but one of the main shots in his improvements on hard courts in general last year, and um, because he was putting so much in play, you know, he wasn't trying to be aggressive necessarily. He did cite Paris, the Paris Masters, uh, their last match, him and Zverev. Zverev got a lot of serve plus ones, so I think Rude was trying to be too aggressive there. You know, he'd spin a lot of balls short and Zverev would attack them really easily. Obviously, indoors helps a little bit as well. But he did say that he was making a lot more returns than he did in Bercy. And he was a little bit too short on those returns as well. So it doesn't matter if you're not getting a lot of pace on them. A lot of the time, a chip return is just good enough to neutralise the point. It depends what player you're right. playing. There are players that can do it better than others. Zverev's so serve plus one isn't the best for me. As you say, yeah. too passive sometimes, right? Passive. Yeah. yeah, big problem for him. Yeah, so he hits a big massive serve. It floats back to the baseline. Zverev can't capitalise all the time in that ball, definitely. Yeah. So yeah, it was, a, it was a massive reason that Rude was able to get through. Just a couple of percentages as well. So Rude only lost three points throughout the match using that just serve out wide. It was, per- it was perfect against him. Obviously, you know, it was a strength of Kasper's going into a weakness of Zverev's. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, yeah, it was definitely the key to the match. Those were the two keys for me. Chip returns and just serve out wide. Yep. Okay. Bet on this week's winner. Yeah. Yeah. Surprise mm-hmm. at all. No, you? Well, well, I mean, I'm still a bit surprised it's happening so soon, but. Nobody can escape from Alcaraz. 
No, yeah, like it's that a Robbie line, a Robbie Koenig line. It's a niche uh, 1970s joke, which only Robbie Koenig probably gets. It was an original, though. Was that an OG one, Gav? Because that was good. I like that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, yeah, everyone freaking loves Carlos Alcaraz, is the takeaway from this week for me. We'll get onto the matches in a second, but who doesn't love him, honestly? Two things for me. But what, I'm interested in your thoughts first. Why do you think everybody loves Alcaraz? Well, there's nothing bad to say about him, really. Um, yeah. He's got a great game, good sportsmanship throughout the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, seems humble enough. Uh, mm-hmm. Not one of the big three, so he's not yet built a mad, crazy you know, fan base that would defend him or, you know, you know, see with a big three fan base on Twitter. You know, if you can get tennis Twitter on your side, mm-hmm. that is um, almost a miracle, really. Uh-huh. Somebody's finding a fault with him or fault with players, but... Um, no, I think everyone's just excited because of how young he is and how good he is, you know. It just shows you don't age is not a factor. When you're ready, you're ready, you know. And yeah, yeah, of course. Exactly. He's phenomenal. I mean, just phenomenal for what. You pretty much nailed my points there. I, I will flesh a couple of them out from my perspective. Certainly the sportsmanship thing. He, he's, people talk about sportsmanship and people, players can do this sort of thing, but that double bounce against Harkash, he absolutely didn't have to do that. And I've seen... Nadal, and I'm sorry, Nadal, you are definitely a sportsmanly guy, and I might give you the benefit of the doubt, but I have seen him mocking away from double bounces. Yep. You, yep. Basically, the umpire's job, well, and it, happens. it is. Happens. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, Alcaraz was just like, no, we'll play the point again. He didn't have to do that at all. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, absolute credit to the guy. He actually is a sportsmanly sportsman if ever there was one I think the crowd absolutely loved it you know they were going crazy every time it happened um, and then yeah the other factor obviously he's a very good player but he's got a wow factor about some of his shots oh he does so, yeah I mean he's got he's got, every, he's got every tool in the book you know most yeah. players you could say oh you know he's not strong at the net or he needs to improve his return but he's got every tool in the book that's yeah. what's special about him. exactly yeah he's got great touch yeah um, he's got great net play People, you know, but talk about his serve being like his weakest aspect. His serve's still bloody good. I mean, as yeah, you know, I mean, still not bad. How much power he's got for eighteen? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, I like. We'll speak a bit more about Kachmanovic in a second, but literally the only difference in the tail end of that third set between the two players was a couple of insane points from Alcaraz here and there, just like mad shots. And the only reason that Kachmanovic got broken at all. Was a couple of crazy shots. There was one that uh, Kachmanovic had the backhand volley in the net, and then it's just like this, like mad running forehand pass lob, basically. Well, that, was, that was like Andy, yeah. Andy. Yeah, I think you know the one I mean Andy exactly. Palovic uh, Wimbledon. That's maybe the only reason I dislike Alcaraz is that he might have stolen the best lob on tour in a few years from Andy Murray, unfortunately. But I like him at the moment. You know, I've not made an enemy with him yet, but we'll just see how that lob progresses. <laughs> Let's talk about about Kitschmanovic. Mm. I don't. I, I've got a bunch of stuff in this in the blog. So again, I'd like to keep it short and from an analysis point of view. But just yeah. certainly, you know, there was only one break of serve for Kitschmanovic. There was only two breaks of serve for Alcaraz, who has been, t- you know, he's been breaking forty two percent of the time on hard courts this season, mm. uh, right down to thirteen percent given the amount of service games they played. Kitschmanovic was amazing. He doesn't serve big, massive. Huge serves. It's just tidy serve plus ones all the time. Keeping you know, it doesn't have to do too much. This is all Nalbandian um, based as well. This is all Nalbandian's doing because yeah, he wasn't really doing struggling this before this season. Wasn't he really struggling? Yeah, really struggling. 
Exactly. I mean, I, I saw a clip of him and Nobandian in, I believe it was like Indian Wales last year or something. Nalbandi is just focusing on depth, depth, depth. You know, he said a lot of the time you don't have to have a fastball. Sometimes depth, or pretty much most of the time, depth is more important than than speed. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Ketchman was still hitting a big ball. He was sitting 79 miles an hour on average, actually, on the forehand. But just getting heavy balls into the corners with loads of margin on them, yeah, it just made, he made it look really simple. Yeah, and he's not he's not like a Gio Simon type that just you know gives you a suspect to Simon junk. But he's mm-hmm. able to hit it with pace and without pace, he can vary it up. Um, yeah, and I'm really happy he's playing really well now because I was concerned about him because I watched him play was the Antalya final twenty nineteen. I think it was but he lost to Sonego. Sonego, yeah. And that was Sonego's first title. And and after that his his level, Ketmanovic's level sort of just went down and it was almost like really he was struggling to win any matches, I think. And then now he's he's back where I knew his potential could be. So it's that's really good to see. Yes, it's amazing to see. Um, but yeah, again, as I say, the reason that Alcaraz won is just a couple of crazy shots here and there. I don't yeah. often say that. Normally, I don't just try and generalise as much as that, but it totally was the case. Sketchmanovic deserved to win as much as Alcaraz did. Um, year, sure. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, 35 forehand winners from Alcaraz to get through and 29 out of 34 at the net. What a player. Yeah. Amazing. Almost man judge, like. Almost man judge, like, yeah. Wait, wait. Not quite, exactly. He's getting close, though. Alcaraz, her catch. Yes. This was one of those matches for me that will sh- it kind of shows us why Alcaraz is going to be so great in that he didn't play the best match. Mm-hmm, but he played I the thought. big points better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's ultimately yeah. what it comes down to for me. Again, it highlights him. Her catches, maybe his... What, what would be the right word? His, um, the faults he had against Medvedev despite getting over the line weren't going to rush against Alcaraz. You know, it wasn't going to work against Alcaraz. Um, needs to improve that return. But to be fair, Alcaraz, I thought, was phenomenal in the big pressure moment. He was able to come through. He was the better player. He looked the more experienced of the two players for me. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think he just dealing with the pressure again. He, he was able to come through and go beating the defending champion without dropping a set as well. I mean, 7-6, seven, 7-6. Six, seven, six. Impressive to get it done in straights. Yeah, definitely, definitely. First serves unreturned. Harkatch 54%, Alcaraz 15%. Mm. And Alcaraz still comes through. Uh, Harkatch, her, her um, yeah, I'll give him a lot of positives again. Um, obviously, the negatives are necessary because there's a reason he lost to Alcaraz. But he served, he serves immaculately. Immaculately, his serve is so difficult to read. Mm. One of the few players who can outfox Alcaraz because it doesn't matter how far back Alcaraz goes. Very quick motion. I think that's part yeah. Of the... yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the ball goes up and it's like on you in a flash, basically, and um, you don't know if it's going T, you don't know if it's going wide. A lot yeah, of the time. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, yeah, sort of taking it um, on, on the rise a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah, re- really impressive stuff. I don't know if he does take it on the rise, actually. Maybe it looks like well, that. It's, it's I, don't, I don't know. Time, I think. I think yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, either way, yeah, it's, 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 it's tough to read because it comes out you so quickly, definitely. Um, it comes out you from such a height, obviously. I think that's you know one of the advantages of being a tall player is you can literally just, you can laser the ball into the, the place you need it to go rather than have to, you know, you can get the same pace, but if, if you're, Putting more height in the ball to get it over the net first, it won't actually be the same speed when it reaches the player. If that makes sense, yeah. so yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it, it worked really well against Alcaraz. The one area for me in this match specifically, yes, you're right about returns, definitely. But first serve plus one, um, the forehand was a little bit spray in the yeah, tie breaks. Can be a wee bit edgy under pressure, you know, especially the inside out forehand. I've noticed in the past it can sort of fly away or you know, 
he can lose it, you know, and when he loses it, he can sometimes go off, you know, for a few games or maybe if we're talking the minute term, time terms, maybe 10, 15 minutes, it can just not be quite right and the top players can exploit that, you know. Yeah, I, I, I mean, that was literally it, exactly. I definitely agree with that. Um, for me, I'm going to do a little bit of a deeper dive into this in the blogs. It's a um, thing that uh, fascinates me a lot, but forcing an error from Alcaraz, certainly for somebody like Harkatch, who doesn't possess massive firepower off either wing, pretty much only approaches to the net that were forcing errors. I mean, Alcaraz moves so well, if you were just to stay at the baseline the whole time, I mean, he could do that all day, literally. Or I mean, obviously he'd finish the point first. He can he can hit amazing defensive shots into offense as well. So, mm. um, really interesting to see how Harkatch could even win basic points off of uh, outside of serves against yeah. Alcaraz. Very interesting. Finally, final Alcaraz yeah. v Roots. Yeah, very very highly anticipated match, and um, I thought Alcaraz's level in the final was phenomenal. Barring the first ten minutes, obviously he had a bit of a a little bit of a dip. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, I think just he missed a few forehands. Really, that's what it amounted to to lose that break of serve. Yeah, uh, I mean, for me, Rude was happy to put it deep and see what happened. Um, and it, yeah. he, he got away with it, he, to be honest. Match very, very well. Uh, he was but solid, but the problem was when Alcaraz raised his level, it was very becoming more and more difficult for Rude to sort of gain control of the rallies. He was being rushed a lot, especially he was forced to pretty much be on the back foot defensive a lot of the time and ultimately Alcaraz was just when he raised his level it was very difficult for Rue to come up with a plan that would actually get Alcaraz off uh, his stride you know and yeah pressure consistently so he looked a bit shaken up after he dropped his serve and fought to love up I thought in yeah. the first set I think that was a big big factor yeah he needed a double break for me when he when he goes a break out even when he was three love up for 10 minutes and it looked, the scoreboard looked good I'm still thinking yeah you like yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, when that during that forty love comeback from mini comeback from Alcaraz, there was like approaches to the net that we just don't see from Rude. I mean, Harkat Harkat can do it in his sleep, but yeah, exactly. Just like and he, he didn't do it off the right balls at all, and he got easily, easily passed. And after that, it was one way traffic. Like eight of the nine next nine uh, games went Alcaraz's way. Obviously, Rude yep. did dig in, but you know, we both knew after Alcaraz went a double break up. Yeah, I, mean, I expected Alcaraz to get broken again, but I'm like, that's why you've got the double break. You can get nervy for that game, then compose yourself yeah. and just. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so, really, I think the fact that Rude was making pretty crazy approaches to the net and some choice drop shots every now and then kind of says to me that he wasn't very confident his ground stroke game could beat Alcaraz's. And that's okay, you I can have all the spin in the world, but honestly, Alcaraz can construct a point over ten shots, he can construct a point over two shots. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what ball he gets, he he finds a way to get up in the point basically. He's very good under pressure, which is even worse for you can't even expect a dip, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Unfortunately yeah. for him the dip came at the start of the match, but but after ten minutes in mm-hmm. more dip. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Amazing match, still. Yeah, obviously, amazing tournament. Only Spanish winner of the Miami Open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Eight previous finalists. Five. Yeah, <laughs> Nadal five times. Ferrer, Bruguera, and Carlos Moya. Mm-hmm. The third youngest winner of a Masters title behind Chang in Montreal in 1990, and Nadal in Monte Carlo in 2005. Alcaraz is technically eighteen year old, eighteen years old, and ten months as well, but um, just a little bit older than Nadal. Amazing, obviously. You know, I don't know if there's much more to say about it at the moment. Just 
and off. May it continue. Yeah, I love watching play. I mean, so yeah, so do I. We will move on to the WTA tournament. Yep. Start with Naomi Osaka and her run from number seventy in the world to the final. First, <laughs> yeah. What were you going to say? Were you not surprised? Did you say? Not surprised. No. Yeah, he's, he's, he's the lowest ranked player, obviously, to make the Miami final, but it's all yeah, asterisks, isn't it? Sort of, I think it feels sort of, I think she feels comfortable there because it's IMG sort of run, but I think she gets on well with better rapport with the fans there than she does. That helps, well. exactly. It does help. So, um, yeah, not her first final there, to be fair, um, yeah. in, in Miami, so a little unprecedented. The letdown of the tournament for me, I think we were talking about it last week, Collins Osaka, and I was like, that's going to be bloody 7-5 in the third or whatever it is. 6-2-6-1, unfortunately. Uh, Danielle Collins definitely injury-strewn to some extent. I think it was her neck that was bothering her. It would have been good had the neck not been... Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, the serve was as erratic as you will ever see a professional player hit a serve so I mean there's definitely something going wrong like the serve could barely put, get put in the court and she started she did one underarm serve which I've never seen from a, a female player before Um, obviously I mean she missed that it didn't matter that she looked you know very badly injured I've got to say mm-hmm. so it was a shame um, because that could have been a really good match Asaka just walks all over her unfortunately a really good match though in the semi-finals Asaka Bencic Asaka was previously love and three to Bencic. So this was a really this was a really interesting match actually mm. from a sort of analytical standpoint for me. Bencic so good obviously creating power on the backhand side with an open stance. This is this is a really interesting point because she will step into the court for a backhand return. Because she's got the open stance, it's quite difficult for players to tell what way she's gonna direct it basically. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and also she gets better balance on it, so it doesn't matter if you've got a pretty decent serve. Um, she she can still put a, a, a good countered backhand into the court. So a player like Bencic for Asaka, her backhand's really good. Asaka's backhand is really good, but she prefers to attack on the forehand. And if you can get her on the back foot on the backhand, it can be very tough for her to, to live with her opponent. And that's kind of, Bencic was doing that throughout the match on second serve return in particular. So just a little bit of history, obviously, in those last three matches, Bencic had won uh, the same amount of points in the sort of one to three shot category as Asaka. So you're talking about serves, serve plus ones and returns. But four to six, Bencic had dominated that category every time. And that's your sort of returns plus one shot uh, or, you know, return points that go over one uh, point basically is the majority of uh, return points that go over one shot, sorry, is the majority of those points. So Asaka's got a really good return. But the problem is it's so linear, so pacey, that she relies on her players getting sort of knocked back in their feet um, to, to yeah, get up in the point. Short ball and then attack, short ball, yeah. Exactly. Somebody like Bencic, who takes the ball early, doesn't rely on too much of her own power, is very good at countering that sort of ball. Using the pace of the feet. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then on the other side of that, Bencic takes her return so early, it's like it doesn't matter how slowly she hits the ball because it's back on Asaka so quickly, she... You know, she feels like she's 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 basically on the back foot the whole time, um, and obviously because Asaka is using her backhand return, her preferred return to knock her opponents back, and because it's so linear and not taken early in the court, obviously you'll find it's a lot easier to go over the highest part of the net if you're further in the court. So Bencic has the advantage of being able to change direction easier. Yep. Asaka has the disadvantage of not being able to do that, and will probably put it back to Bencic's backhand, her strength. 
Mm-hmm. So it's quite interesting those little nuanced points, and you can see it happening a lot of the time. Like yeah. Asaka doesn't have a choice but to absolutely leather it back cross court, and Benchich is you know can just like direct it down the line. She's amazing at doing that. So yeah, really interesting. Interesting to hear Asaka afterwards saying, "Honestly, I don't really feel like I figured her out at all. I hit some pretty good serves. She just set winners off of them." So she admitting basically that she still you know she didn't feel like she had the advantage in that match. Tactical master plan or something, yeah. Yeah, 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 it was super interesting. But for me, the only difference in this match was Asaka served amazingly. Like she served eighteen aces, the most aces that anybody served this year in the WTA. And she, I mean, she was down one two fifteen forty three unreturned serves in a row, points like that. And I mean, that made the biggest difference because she went on to win the next four games. Mm-hmm. That that was the turning point, basically. And yeah. Benchich played an amazing match and easily could have won it if Asaka had blinked. Really exciting. I, I mean, obviously, I liked it from a nerdy point of view. It's it pretty interesting. Yeah, I can tell. Like, you went all Patrick Mortoglu now. <laughs> yeah, I did, yeah. I didn't uh, make any crazy claims about, you know, Kyrgios or anything like I that, to be fair. Like... No controversy in there, right, yeah? Sort of I don't just, know. It was just sort of like the, I don't know, the, the hand gesture, like the Patrick. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. I, I, should be... it, yeah. <laughs> I should be on video. I know, it's true, actually. Um, yeah, I did do some crazy hand gestures there, listeners, if you, if you want to know. Next time I'll get Gav to audio describe it. Yeah, Asaka, <laughs> very tearful at the end of the match. Obviously, you know, quite a big deal for her. I think a lot of that is to do with her, the Indian Wells response and how, you know, she felt like uncomfortable yeah, on the just, court. I just try and avoid any of her interviews, being honest. I, I get irritated with the press conferences, but... Um, Fair it yeah, is, yeah. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like obviously she was so upset from having been heckled in Indian Wells. It was just a relief for her to have the crowd on her side, so it was very nice yeah. for her to make a deep run again. Uh, basically, oh, no. yeah. Schwantek, we can go to Schwantek. Yep. Did you manage to catch her versus Kvitova? Didn't see the Kvitova match, no. But um, watched the final. I watched the final, but um, I'll very I'll very quickly just talk about a few of the things. Back, yeah. She 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 was able to do against Petra. Petra obviously usual pattern of plays to force a slower ball from her opponent and then just hit a lights out next shot. You know pretty much none of our points are going to go over one to four shots really. Schwantek not giving her a chance to execute really. Um, only area that Schwantek did give her a chance was on second serve. And to be honest, I could have done a lot better. She missed a lot of returns. Never really able to get up in any of the return points or enough of the return points. Didn't generate a break point on Schwantek's serve. Shontek spoke about first serve after the match, to be fair, and she did take a little bit off that serve to avoid hitting second serves. Yep. It did make a big difference because, you know, even 10 miles an hour with a little bit more spin on the ball can stop Kvitova, you know, jumping into the court and, and putting you on the back foot. Mm. Um, Kvitova really good on serve as well. She could have just been a little bit tighter and it might have been a little bit more difficult. Only one good serve required for her a lot of the time uh, to, to put her to put Schwantek on the rope, she's got that amazing lefty serve out wide, sometimes serving volleying off it, you know, one of the few players on the WTA Tour that actually serves in volleys. Um, yep. She could have done it more often than that, to be honest, because she won pretty much every point she tried that on. Uh, to give you an idea, juice points won, just first serve points won for Petra Kvitova was 58% compared to 80% in the ad court, so she was so much better when she had that lefty serve out wide. But yeah, I suppose there was just too many massive forehand returns in the juice court. I guess if that was there was one place she could have improved her game, it would have been in that juice court serve. She, I would have liked to have seen serving volleys on that side as well, to be honest. She did try it once and she it worked. So, you know, I don't know, just a little bit more variety against Schwantek, who's going to beat anybody on return, anybody in a baseline rally, basically. She had the tools to hurt Schwantek as well with the forehand inside out, but just obviously 
she doesn't move that quickly so she couldn't often run around it to get that shot but when she did she won like six of the nine shots she landed that shot so six of the nine points she landed that shot um so yeah really interesting one analytically again just Fontek too solid and obviously Petrikovic but I suppose just generally is able to beat anybody on her day but we saw all the those tools actually almost working if she just put it together a little bit better yeah just getting the final end product that's the big exactly yeah yeah or just like a consistency in pulling off your tactics basically and a lot of the time the execution level is just a little bit too high we did see her start to do drop shots and for me that's a sign of desperation rather than yeah. it's not something it's not something Kvitova ever does that often so um unfortunately i didn't see Fontek pegula and i don't believe you did either gav i didn't that either, no. so it's I, totally I, I know exactly and i had to catch up on a lot i did, the only stat i can give you is that pegula actually has the third most masters win since the beginning of 2021 wow so if, if anybody's thinking oh why the Hell is Jessica Pegula in a semi-final. She's won 23 matches since the beginning of 2021. Second only... Ben Rosenberg with that sort of question. I know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, so disrespectful, exactly. Um, sorry, 22 matches since the beginning of 2021. Second only to Bedosa, 23, and Schwantek, obviously, at 26. I will have an analysis of that on the blog at one point, so please don't start sending me hate mail or anything like that. I'm sure we'll get it analysed, don't worry. Um, let's talk about Sean Tekasaka instead. Yeah. Uh, obviously, it was a bit of a routing in the end, but how did you feel about it, Gav? Yeah, going into it, I did think that um, Sean Tech, I've been impressed with her level, obviously, from Indian Wells and from Miami, but uh, I thought I thought it'd be a really close match, to be honest. I thought we were going to get another three-hour epic. I think Osaka, I thought, would go out there, feel more relaxed in the Miami with the crowd. Um, and for me, I thought Sean Tech, especially the second set, was a masterclass. It was mm-hmm. really, really a masterclass. It was phenomenal. I mean, going into Osaka forehand, which a lot of players are not willing to do, despite the fact that the forehand is more likely to break down, despite being the more powerful shot, because obviously more aggressive than the forehand, it's going to leak errors. And um, Shontek's movement was able to counteract the Saka's power. And mm-hmm. I thought, yeah, phenomenal, phenomenal performance. Uh, for, I think, what age is Shontek? Is she 18, 19? No, uh, 20, I think. 20. Yeah, 20. Well, even that's still young in yeah. uh, relative terms. I mean, that's, phenomenal performance to come out with that uh, at that age. I know she's won a slam and we've seen her perform well in the big matches before but uh, I thought tactically I thought the way she was able to execute her plan and she was able to really dominate Osaka towards the end. It was a rout. I mean it, it, that second set was a complete rout and uh, nothing Osaka could do to counteract it really. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, one of the tactics she did try, they're both amazing second serve returners and servers for that matter. So they, they both actually cover their second serve really well as well. But looking at Svontek's serve against Asako's return and then vice versa, it was clear Svontek had the edge. So Asako was trying to step in really early. You, were, you know, saying um, she was trying to take on massive forehands, obviously, and backhand returns, both of them. But you try and step in against a heavy ball. As a tennis player, Gav, I don't know if you've ever played a really difficult kick serve. Oh, yeah. yeah. On, on, on clay, obviously, can be especially oh, yeah. tough. Yep. But um, even on a hard court or any court, it's quite difficult to read if you step in early. Because you step in early in a big kick serve, you're nearly fucked. I mean, you'd be yeah. pretty but yeah, Because the ball can just go in any direction, obviously. And the, the best servers and the, the best returners in the world are so good at that, obviously. But... Mm. 
Swantech's service so loaded, I, I imagine that made it a little bit difficult for and because they were so deep as well, she's not afraid to hit deep second serves. Taking them early is so difficult for Asaka, especially when they're sort of spinning into Asaka's body, stopping her hitting her preferred backhand uh, returns against Swantech. So really not able to reliably attack Swantech's second serve at all. And she didn't she didn't face a break point throughout the match. Uh, and then on the other side of that, Swantech, both of her return wings at the moment are amazing. Obviously, the forehand has always been so good. But And as you say, her forehand into Saka's forehand, I don't think it matters if you've got the best forehand in the world on the other side of the court. Well, Schwantek's forehand probably is the best forehand in the world at the moment, to be honest. So that's ironic. But um, yeah, if, she, if she's hitting you know, at those massive, massive forehand returns, and they don't look massive, I think, on screen because maybe they look so safe. Like they, they land quite short in the court, but they're so spinny and so big and so fast. Doesn't matter who you've got there. Like she can take them so on so early, so reliably. Asaka was just like absolutely blown off court by that shot. Yeah. Um, so that was the biggest difference. Obviously, she's improved that backhand return. She was still able to attack with that when Asaka did try that as well. Yeah, I, 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 the the other main reason for me as well. Um, so against Sakari, we talked about that matchup a lot. Sakari is able to hit really heavy balls down the middle and then get that second shot off of. Shontek, and that's why she'd struggled in the past. Doesn't really happen anymore, and it's because I think it's because Shontek's using that sort of knees to the ground shot a lot. You know, like yeah, the, closer to the ground, yeah, yeah, the sort of Kerberi one. Um, yeah, that we see a lot. Yeah, yeah, um, it just helps her, you know, control that forehand a lot better when. Ranska as well used to do that. Yeah, no, Ranska, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, when she gets a really massive forehand hit to her, she can she can um, counter with her own forehand into anywhere on the court. Basically, if she she positions herself like that. Really interesting match, even though it was four in love. I was really looking forward yeah. to it, obviously. It's, you know, it was, yeah. it was really good. And it was good to see those two get through. Both sort of introverted, quiet, kind of, you know, yeah. personable people at the same time. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, just quite a modest and lovely set of no, players no to reach the final. Like, no yeah. Drama. yeah. Exactly. No aggro. Yeah, that word, aggro, but no aggro. Yeah. No aggro, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, amazing. We've talked about Shontek a lot recently, obviously, but we'll talk about her a bit more. New world number one. Mm-hmm. Becomes the first Polish player to take the top spot. Agarvan Vanska obviously made it to number two, I believe. Yep. Fourth player to win the Sunshine Double behind Graf, 94-96. Kleisters, 05. And Vika, 16. Shontek lost her first 250 final. After that, she's won her next six finals. One slam, four masters, and one 500. Dropping 20 games combined. <laughs> it's not bad is it seriously it's seriously mind-blowing actually yet has beaten Sakari, Bencic, Saka now Contivate, Pliskova, Strong Kenan I would add yeah <laughs> amazing set of players to beat seriously so good rambled on for long enough haven't we yeah, um, yeah. yeah exactly yeah yeah thank you uh, for putting up with us for this long listeners it was very nice of you to listen in um, you can catch us next week I'm sure and you, or you can catch us in the meantime sorry on jackedward.substack.com or onlinetennis.uk you can catch Gav's work on Last Word on Tennis yeah we've done some predictions this week I think from Houston Houston Men's Playcourt Championship which Brooks will be playing in today playing so he is yeah. yeah so he is yeah, I think making an appearance again that'll be good yeah awesome yeah 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 catch Gav's work there then um, thank you very much for listening again we'll catch you next time on the Online Tennis Podcast cheers thank right, you thank you Thank you, bye.